Well, good morning, Gospel Hope. Man, it is a privilege to be back with you once again and to open God's Word together. So take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of James or scroll, whatever your medium of preference is. Um, I am excited today because I, I think this passage in James, like many of the other ones, is just a needed reminder for all of us. Uh, how many of you, as we were reading that, were thinking, oh no, I'm about to get it over the head this morning. And James has a way of going right after us and addressing that little thing between our teeth called our tongues that get us in a world of trouble. So can we pray this morning and ask that the Lord would just help us to see that our tongues are an overflow of our hearts this morning. Lord, we need you. And we thank you so much for the opportunity to open up your word together today. Lord, would you expose us where we need to be exposed? Would you encourage us where we need to be encouraged? Would you strengthen us where we need to be strengthened? I pray, Lord, in all of these things, you would exalt the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to hear your word. Lord, we don't want to be the same people as we walk out today, as we were when we came in. So I pray that you would speak. In Christ we pray. Amen. In the 1960s, Pepsi, I know that's a bad word here in Atlanta, but I will say it again. Pepsi launched a new ad campaign with the slogan, Come Alive with Pepsi. True confession, how many of you are old enough to remember? Okay, all right, we see a few. Come Alive with Pepsi. Overall, the ad campaign was wildly successful. Unfortunately, when Pepsi expanded to its international market, they were not super careful in the way that they translated it. So much so that when the campaign went public in China, it was translated something like this. Pepsi, it brings your ancestors back to life. <laughs> Wisely, Pepsi pulled the ad. But we've all been there, haven't we? We've hit the send button prematurely. We say something and think, did that just come, up my, come out of my mouth? We quickly zip the text and realize that that was supposed to be to our spouse and it was not to our spouse. We've all said something or written something that has ended up being very regrettable. The reality is, is that our words can get us into a mess of trouble. How many of you can remember a time when you thought this sentiment? I wish I hadn't said that. How many of you, let's, let's take a survey. How many of you can remember that this month? Raise your hand. Okay, very good, very good. Let's be honest. Come on, keep your hands up. How many of you this week can remember something that you said and you say, I wish I hadn't said that? Okay, how many of you this morning, this morning, I wish I hadn't have said that? Okay, good. Because this message is for you. All of us, it seems, have a propensity towards foot-in-mouth disease. Not foot and mouth. Foot-in-mouth disease that the Bible frequently extols the importance of controlling our tongue. The Lord knows that we have trouble with this area. So over and over in the scripture, the Bible talks about just how important it is to keep our mouths under control. Or as the title of the sermon is simply this morning... Watch your mouth. We've all got to do it. 
Here's what the book of Psalms says. Psalm 34, verse 12 and 13. Who is someone who desires life, loving a long life to enjoy what is good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Proverbs 22, 23. The one who guards his mouth and keeps his tongue. Oh, I'm sorry. The one who guards his mouth and tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Or my favorite, Proverbs 17, verse 28. Even a fool is considered wise when he keeps silent, discerning when he seals his lips. But as clear as these warnings are, Nowhere does the Bible give us a more thorough treatment of the importance of guarding our speech than in James chapter 3. Did you notice that whole section, 12 verses, is dedicated exclusively to the idea that we must diligently control our tongue. And that's really the point this morning. If you're following this passage, I think what James is trying to convey to us is that we must diligently control our tongue. So why is that such a big deal? Why devote so much attention to urging us to watch our mouths? Thankfully, in our text, James spells it out very clearly, laying out several reasons why it is important for us to learn to control our speech. So this morning, Lord willing, from the text, I want to give you five reasons for controlling your tongue. Five reasons that you need to control your tongue right out of James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Number one, the first reason is this, your tongue is strong. Say that with me, the tongue is strong. James begins this section with a slightly unusual word of caution. Look at verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. That's a bit odd, isn't it? Like when you stop and think about that, it seems that aspiring to teach God's word would be a universally good desire. So why would God, why would James caution people about wanting to be a teacher of God's word. Shouldn't James be encouraging people to want to teach God's word? Well, fortunately, James answers the question for us. Look at verse 2. Knowing that we will have a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a mature man who is also able to control his whole body. James' caution to would-be teachers is twofold. First, not many should be teachers because teachers will be held to a higher standard. Because teachers' words are necessarily public and necessarily influence more people, they have a higher responsibility to carefully measure their words. Listen, I stand up here week after week in the pulpit. Rod stands up here week after week in the pulpit and we understand that we have to be careful about what we say because we're not saying it in a private conversation, in a text message to one person, but we're saying it to a whole bunch of different people and we're saying that we are saying we are speaking on behalf of God. It is a heavy and a serious thing to teach the Bible. So we should be careful about who is teachers. But then James gives another reason why we should be careful about it. Not many of us should aspire to be teachers because controlling your speech takes a significant amount of spiritual maturity. Which it seems in James' mind is a rare commodity. To put it plainly... The tongue is one of our most difficult parts to master. Do you agree with that? 
The tongue is one of our most difficult parts to master. Just think about all the ways that we can easily sin with our speech. We can exaggerate, mislead, deceive others with our words. We can belittle, tear down, out and, and wound with our words. We can complain, whine, and grumble with our words. We can intimidate, overpower, and rage with our words. We can be vulgar, inappropriate, and blasphemous with our words. We can worry, mistrust, and fear all with our words. It is a very easy thing to sin with your tongue. The temptation to ungodly speech are both potent and pervasive. It's everywhere and they are very, very powerful. It is easy to sin with your tongue because the temptations of the tongue are exceptionally strong. Because of this, we must keep our tongues on a very short leash. <laughs> When Trisha and I first got married, uh, one of the things that Trisha wanted was a dog. And being the supportive husband that I am, I said, sure, honey. But Trisha didn't want any dog. She wanted a beast. So she got a Great Dane puppy. Well, Dante, as his name was appropriately, grew in to be about 140 pounds of sheer muscle. And at times I would take Dante for a walk. But when you walk a Great Dane, it's not like walking a little, little cat dog. You know what I'm talking about? It's, it's like you're walking a horse in some degrees. So I would hold on to that leash very strongly. Here's the reason why. Because I knew if he got away, if he got away from me, that dog could do some serious, serious damage. He was very strong. And so what I had to do was keep him right here. It made walking him not very fun at all, by the way. You just had to hang on. You had to keep control of him because his ability to get away from me was very, very strong. In a sense, I think this is what James is driving at. He's saying, your tongues are very strong. Your tongues are very strong, so you must guard them very closely. You must keep them on a short leash because if you don't, if you don't carefully guard your tongue, it will do damage to you and to others around you. So watch your tongue. Why? Because your tongue is strong. Second, the tongue is also influential. Say that with me. The tongue is Say, what do you mean by that? Well, let's dig into the text here. I hope I'll explain it. The powerful temptation as the tongue is not the only reason we need to carefully guard our speech. James also reminds us that through, though your tongue is a relatively small body part, it exerts a significant influence over your whole life. Look at chapter 3, verse number 3. Now, when you put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we also guide the whole animal. And consider ships, though they are very large and driven by fierce winds, they are also guided by small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. I think James' point is this. Now, follow with me. This is the point he's making. The tongue's power is disproportionate to its size. The tongue's power in your life. It's just this little thing. This little thing thing. I know that's hard to talk like that, but it's very small. It's like, you know, like your big toe. 
But your big toe really doesn't have a lot of influence in your life. I mean, I don't want to be gross or anything, but you could lose your big toe and your life would not like dramatically change. But your tongue, your tongue exerts all kinds of influence in your life. Just like a powerful horse is controlled by a small bit, just like a giant ship can be controlled by a very small rudder, so your life can be shaped by the words that you speak. What you say profoundly influences what you become. What comes out of your mouth, the words that you speak, has a profound shaping influence on your entire life. Consider these people from history who had a significant influence in the course of the world. Franklin Delano Roosevelt was confined to a wheelchair because of polio. Ray Charles lost his sight when he was just a small child. Winston Churchill suffered all manner of ailments from heart attacks to stroke. Helen Keller was born without the ability to communicate. But let me ask you this question. Did all of those people have an influence on the world, yes or no? Are they all like known to us several years after they passed away, yes or no? And why did they have such a shaping influence on the world? It was because of their words. Words determine the course of your life. The way you speak, the way your tongue goes has a profound way of shaping the direction in which you go. The words we say have a disproportionate influence on our life. Think about it for a minute. If you're overly blunt... Anybody like that in here? Don't raise your hand. Does it influence your friendships? I mean, you may have a heart of gold, right? But if you are overly blunt, does it influence the way that you interact with other people? Absolutely. If you are prone to angry outbursts, I mean, many other areas of your life, you may be doing great, but if you are prone to angry outbursts, does that impact your family? If you routinely complain and argue, if you're a bit of a contrarian and you have a complaint about all kinds of things in your life, even though you may read your Bible and pray every day, does it affect your performance and your professional advancement at work? You better believe it. Your words are very, very influential. There are certainly far more things to you than just your words. I'm not reducing you or me or anyone to the things that they say. You have motives, you have talents, you have feelings, you have goals, you have dreams. But whether you like it or not, we live in a world in which words matter. They matter. And we need to control our tongue because your words are influential. That's why I think the psalmist says this, Lord... Set up a guard for my mouth and keep watch at the door of my lips. The psalmist well understood how important the things that he said were. Words are not only strong, your tongue is not only powerful, your tongue is also very influential. Number three, the tongue is destructive. James gives us another reason why we must control our tongues by using the analogy of a forest fire. Look at verse number five. Consider how large a forest a small fire ignites. And the tongue is a fire. 
the tongue, a world of unrighteousness is placed among the parts of our body. It pollutes the whole body and it sets the course of life on fire and is set on fire by hell. Who, have not, have not, who of us have not felt the force of those words? Who of, uh, who of us have not been burnt by words? Who of us have not burnt others with our words? The tongue, our words, our speech, if left out of control, is like a forest fire, consuming and destroying everything in its path. In 1910, a wildfire burned across northern Idaho, western Montana, eastern Washington, and southern British Columbia. It was known as the Great Fire of 1910. It ended up consuming 3 million acres of forest land. I, I couldn't get my mind around that, so that's basically Connecticut. So this fire burnt an area the size of an entire state of the United States. And you know what it was started by? Just the cinders of a locomotive engine. Just the cinders of a locomotive started this fire, killing 87 people and damaging 3 million acres of land. It's a beautiful analogy in its ugliness, right? We well understand that words can harm. Our words, like a fire, have tremendous destructive power in them. You know, you've heard the old adage, sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? Words will never hurt me or harm me. At a gut level, what? We all know like, false. Words often hurt more than sticks and stones. I'd rather you punch me in the face in one sense than say something unkind or hurtful to me. Like, don't try it out after the service and be like, Ryan, I heard you like punches in the face. Not what I'm saying. But we know that words can hurt. Can you think of a time in your life when you were deeply wounded by words? Still hurts, doesn't it? Right now. Right now, you can call that up. Maybe it was 10 years ago, and it still stings a little bit. Why? Words can hurt. They can destroy. Can you think of a time when you wielded your words like a blade, intent on cutting as deeply as possible? Can you take, think of a time not when you were hurt, but when you on purpose used your words to inflict as much damage as you possibly could? Words are powerful. We need to carefully guard our speech because all of us have great power to harm through our words. Are you bearing this in mind when you speak to your coworkers, to your friends, to your spouse, to your child, to your parent, to your boss, to your neighbor? Are you bearing in mind the reality that your tongue, your speech, your words has tremendous destructive power in them? So brothers and sisters, if you've trusted in Jesus, let's carefully, diligently guard what we say. 
An unknown person once said it this way, the tongue has no bones, but is strong enough to break a heart. So be careful with your words. Number four, the tongue is restless. James continues his indictment, verse number seven. Every sea creature, reptile, bird, or animal is tamed and has been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. In James' mind, the tongue is untamable. That is, it can never be fully subdued. It is by nature a restless evil. How many of you have heard of Siegfried and Roy? How many of you have heard of them? They were a famous act in Las Vegas for literally decades. And Siegfried and Roy tamed or had a show with wild animals, specifically white tigers and white lions. And after performing for years and years and years and years, literally 40 years they had done this act, in 2003, a seven-year-old lion named Montecor attacked Roy during the live show, and it wasn't a little attack. Montecor jumped up on Roy, bit into his neck, and nearly killed him. He dragged him off the stage to kind of finish the job, it was thought. Well, people jumped in and rescued Roy, and he did survive the attack, but not without significant maiming. Like you look at him today, he is terribly maimed from this attack. Life-ending or life-changing, career-ending injuries. In a sense, the tongue is like a lion. No matter how much you think you've tamed it, it's still a wild animal. It is restless. And we can never let go of our control of our mouth because it is a restless evil. Have you experienced this? You're going happily throughout your day and then the wild beast breaks out. All of a sudden, you're gossiping about your coworker. I mean, it's just like spills out. Out of nowhere, you suddenly complain about your spouse. Without explanation, you are screaming your head off at your kids or seeming without warning, you're ripping your friend to shreds. Then there you stand, shell-shocked, saying, what just happened? Where did that come from? Why did I talk like that? That just... It's just, I wasn't thinking anything. Boom, there it was. When that happens, you just fell victim to the restless evil. How nice it would be to have a rewind button on your life. How nice it would be to say, oh, I could, oh wait, just, you know, back 10 seconds. That'd be awesome. But we don't. We don't. And we have this restless evil living inside of us. One author put it this way, as temptation often comes in via the eyes, sin easily exits through the mouth. And it is easy for me to sin with my words. Our speech is an area in which we simply cannot let our guard down. Proverbs 25, 28, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Why must we control our tongue? Because our tongues, no matter how much you think you've tamed it, it is a restless evil. Number five, lastly, 
the tongue is inconsistent. James gives us one more reason to control our speech by pointing out the utter inconsistency in our tongue. Look at verse 9. We praise our Lord and Father with it. And we curse men who are made in God's likeness with it. Praising and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can salt water spring yield fresh water. To James, to sing worship songs to God in one breath and then tear down a person in the next is the height of incongruity. It seems that we all have a tendency to speak with a forked tongue. And it's words coming out of our mouth that are not consistent with one another. Stop and think for a moment. Who are you most prone to tear down with your words? I want you to honestly answer that question right now. Who are you most prone to tear down with your words? Your spouse, your parents, your boss, your neighbor, your kid, your friend, your family member. Who are the barbs of your words most often aimed at? Now ask this question. Everybody got it? Got a person in mind? In whose image is that person made? No matter who they are, they are made in the very image of God. And when you tear down an image bearer of God with your words, in one sense, those insults are aimed at the one in whose image they bear. To put it another way, a word against those God has made is a word against the God who made them. Friends, when we speak in ways that hurt and harm and tear down image bearers of God, our words are ultimately directed against God himself. He is the one that created that person with all their warts and foibles and problems. And by the way, you have your own warts and foibles and problems and God still loves you and he still loves them. So let's be careful with our words that we do not speak with a forked tongue. It is hypocritical to bless the creator and curse the creation. So you may be hearing all this and thinking, wow, that's rough. I know as I was preparing that message, I was like, wow, James, is there any good news in this passage? Because thus far, you've basically just told us the bad news. The tongue is so dangerous, and it seems like we blow it in this area all kinds of times in all different ways. And even though we have all these incentives, if we're really honest, if we're really honest, our tongues are often wagging out of control. Well, I've got news for you. It's worse than you think. It's actually worse than you think. Listen to the words of Jesus who jumps on this theme back in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. 
A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. Now listen to this phrase very carefully. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of his heart. Yipe! That means, that means when I speak, it is not just a tongue that is wagging, it is a heart that is directing it. Let me put it this way, a foul mouth is an indication of a foul heart. Or to put it another way, all problems of the tongue are ultimately problems of the heart. James has bad news for us. Our tongues are often out of control. Jesus has worse news for us. Saying that not only are your tongues out of control, not only is your speech bad, it's actually because your heart is bad. But as stinging as this indictment may seem, it's actually good news. We're going to turn the corner now. Here's why. When Jesus came to earth, when he died on the cross and he rose from the dead, he didn't do so just to take us to heaven one day. Praise the Lord, he did do that. But when Jesus came to earth and died and rose on our behalf, he also came to change us in the here and now. Listen to how the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel describes what Jesus would do. Ezekiel 36 verse 25. I will give you a new heart. A new heart. And I will put a new spirit in with you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Part of the way that Jesus rescues his people is by literally performing a spiritual heart transplant. Jesus says to you, I know your mouth is bad. I know your tongue is foul, but it's actually not the only problem. Your mouth is bad. Your tongue is foul because your heart is bad and foul. But here is the greatest news you could ever hear. I came and I died. And I rose again, not just to fix the way you talk. I didn't come to put a Band-Aid on a cancer patient. I came to cut out that old, hard, stony heart, rip that thing out, and put in a new, soft, fleshly heart. You don't have just a speech problem. You have a heart problem, and I am the great physician. Your problem is worse than you think. But my solution is greater than you could imagine. I just didn't come to clean out your mouth with soap. <laughs> I came to clean your heart with my blood. Listen, here's the implication. If all of our heart problems, our tongue problems are ultimately heart problems, then this is the best news you could ever hear. Because it means that through his death on my behalf, Jesus addressed my core problem. My tongue can be transformed because my heart has been transformed. I can start talking different because I am different by the grace of God. So angry brother, you don't have to yell at others just because you grew up in a home where your dad yelled and screamed. Listen to me, Christ has given you a new heart. Bitter sister, 
You don't have to dissect people with your words just because that's the way women in your life treated you. Listen, Christ has given you a new heart. Sarcastic friend, you don't have to hurt people with your biting humor just because it makes them laugh. Christ has given you a new heart. Impressionable young person, you don't have to speak provocatively just because that's in vogue today. Christ has given you a new heart. Listen, listen, when Jesus saves, he does something for you and he does something to you. Jesus doesn't just say, here's a get out of heaven free or hell free card. He does that. And I thank, thank God for that. He also says, I'm going to rip out that old hard heart you have and give you a new one. I'm not just doing something on your behalf. I am doing something in your chest. Our hope, our hope, our hope for transformed lips is the work of the Savior on our behalf. If you've trusted in Jesus, there is a new heart in your chest. You are no longer a slave to the whims of your tongue. You are not what you once were. Jesus died to give you a new, not just a new vocabulary, but a new destiny. <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day. Um, I grew up in the Midwest and... Uh, you know, the things that come in 12-ounce cans and 16-ounce bottles. In the Midwest, with great conviction, we call that pop. Great conviction. We have strong feelings about that. And then you move down south here, and you folks, you folks call that can and that bottle what? Soda. For years... I found that like it was, it was almost difficult to say those four letters. It's like a curse word almost, like soda. D just, just didn't feel, oh yeah, yeah, okay. Just didn't feel right. But, but what I noticed has happened is we've been here for about three years in the South now. And while I don't routinely say soda, I skirt around the issue by saying Coke, all right? I'm just a neutral ground person. I don't, like, I don't despise it the way I once did. Like, it's not like, what are you talking about anymore? Well, what happened? Well, I think it's illustrated something. My home had changed. And therefore, the way that I talk began to follow suit. Right? Listen. This world is not your home. If you have trusted in Jesus, this world is not your home, so don't adopt the vocabulary of this place. It's all going to burn anyway, right? If you have trusted in Jesus, begin to speak with the accent of heaven. That means start to control your tongue. Man, you don't have to speak angry words to people. You don't have to complain and gossip. I know that's acceptable in the world. I know being bitter and angry and hurtful with our words is par for the course, but that is not who you are. Your address has changed, so let your vocabulary reflect that change. Jesus died, Jesus died, Jesus died to give you a new address. So let's live like citizens of the home from which we're actually going. Let our tongues 
be a reflection of our hearts. And our hearts a reflection of what the Savior purchased on the cross for us. Watch your mouth, brothers and sisters. Watch your mouth. But do so by trusting in the work of the Savior on your behalf. Trust that he has transformed you from the inside out. Here's what we're going to do to change. Our prayer team is going to make their way to the side right now. And you might be hearing all this and say, Pastor Ryan, I agree, man. I'm embarrassed a little bit. My tongue wags in ways that I I don't want it to. I tear people down. Man, Man, it's out of control. And I know that doesn't please Jesus. How do I start to change? Let me just suggest two things. And if you would like to pray about this, our prayer team is standing by and they would love to talk with you about it. First thing is this, just identify it. We just call a spade a spade. Call a sin a sin. Identify the way that you use your tongue to tear down others. Identify the way that you use your tongue in ways that do not please God. Identify it right now. Name it and tell God what it is. He already knows you're not fooling him. Just tell him what it is. And then the second thing is simply this. I would urge you to identify it and then basically pray this way. Psalm 14, I read it earlier. Psalm 141, I'm sorry. Lord, set a guard for my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Just begin to say, Lord, I need your help. I cannot control this beast. You notice what the psalmist says, Lord, you do it. You set a guard over my tongue. You set a guard over my lips. Lord, I need your help in this area. I don't want to try to do it all on my own. I need Jesus to come and to help me to control my speech. Lord, would you help me right now, today? I want to start changing the way I talk because I believe in what Jesus has done for me. Can we do that together? Let's pray. And if the Lord leads you to seek out some prayer for some others, they love to pray with you and ask for God's help. But let's respond to God's word this morning. Lord, we do need you. Oh God, would you guard our mouths? Because we want Jesus to look great in the world. We don't want to drag your name through the mud by the way that we talk. So I pray, Lord, that you would do a work in us and begin to guide us in guarding our hearts and tongues. Thank you that Jesus died not just to take us to heaven one day but he is ready to save us now he wants to help us battle this restless evil lord i pray that we would trust in the work of christ and that would encourage us to change in the precious name of jesus i pray amen